Hey, this episode may contain some challenging topics discussed. If anything said has made you feel uncomfortable or has raised any concerns, there are contact details for services available that can help you in the description below. Kids Helpline can be contacted on 1800 55 1800. For emergencies, contact triple zero. Welcome to Youth Allied. My name is Amy and today we will be talking about consent. Joining me will be Leanne from the Southern Sydney Sexual Assault Service. Hello Leanne. Hi. Thank you for joining us today. Could you please explain a little bit more about your role at the Sexual Assault Service? Yeah, sure. I manage a small team of sexual assault counsellors um, and we see sexual assault victims who are over the age of 14 who live in the St George and Sutherland Shire local government areas. We provide um, counselling and we also provide a 24-7 medical and forensic service for victims who have been sexually assaulted recently um, in the last five days. And the forensic examiners are mainly uh, nurse practitioners from the emergency department who have specialist skills in sexual assault. That's excellent. And how did you come into this role? Uh, Well, I have a Bachelor um, of Social Work. Um, In fact, all the counsellors do at our service. And um, I'm very passionate about counselling and I think that counselling can um, make a difference for people. My first job coming out of uni was in drug and alcohol um, and I really enjoyed that as well. But what I noticed when I was working drug and alcohol was that a lot of the clients actually had histories of sexual abuse in childhood and that was a huge factor um, of why they then had drug and alcohol problems into adulthood. So I felt like... um, getting into sexual assault was almost like um, getting into, you know, early intervention in a way. Today's episode is on sexual consent and the recent updates on the laws in New South Wales. Would you mind giving us an overview on the previous laws surrounding consent? So under the old laws, sexual assault occurred when a person knew the other person didn't consent, that they were reckless with assuming consent or if there were no reasonable grounds to believe that someone had consented. It didn't include ongoing communication during sexual activities or actually needing to ask using words or actions to affirm consent. So why did the sexual consult laws need to be changed in New South Wales? There's been a lot of increased awareness and public pressure for legislative and cultural reform as a result of activism. For instance, the Me Too movement and um, Grace Tame being named Australian of the Year in 2021. She's been a great activist and advocate for survivors of sexual assault. There was also um, Saxon Mullins, who was featured in ABC's Four Corners, she was a victim of sexual assault and her perpetrator um, was 
acquitted because the court found that the Crown, which is the public prosecutor, did not prove that the accused had no reasonable grounds for believing that Saxon wasn't consenting. So you can see that with the language, it shows that the onus is on the victim or the DPP to prove that they didn't give consent. Yes, I can see how that would be very problematic. Um, How have these new laws that have now been introduced differ from the laws that did exist? So the new laws say that consensual sexual activity involves ongoing and mutual communication, decision-making and free and voluntary agreement between the persons participating in the sexual activity and it is not to be presumed. So a belief by the accused that the other person consents to the sexual activity is not reasonable if the accused person did not within a reasonable time before or at the time of the sexual activity say or do anything to find out whether the other person consents to the sexual activity. So that was a bit wordy, but I think what you can see is that the onus is now placed on the accused to prove how did they actually obtain consent. That's extremely significant and you can definitely outline why those laws needed to be changed. Uh, Would you please be able to give an example of where consent isn't freely given? Well, um, first of all, the age of consent in New South Wales is 16. Um, Somebody cannot give consent if they're feeling pressured to give that consent. So if somebody asks them, let's have sex, and the person says no, but then they're just badgered into it, and then eventually they say yes, that's not consent. It's also not consent if the person is scared to say no and somebody cannot give consent if they're intoxicated and they also cannot give consent if they're sleeping. So definitely consent is not straightforward and it can be very complex. It's not a one-stop shop. Um, I myself actually recently read um, Chanel Miller's book Know My Name. She was the survivor of the Stanford sexual assault case. Um, She had a fantastic quote in her book. um, We act as if consent is a single traffic light, red or green. But consent is a road laden with intersections, which way to go, when to slow down, when to yield, when to stop or when to speed up. It's definitely not a one-time thing. It's not an an all-round pass, especially if you find yourself in a relationship. Just because you consent once doesn't mean you consent every time. Amy, I agree. Um, Absolutely. That's a fantastic quote. Consent is something that um, can change. You might give consent to do certain sexual acts with someone, but not others. You might agree to do a type of sex on one day, but not the next day. You can always change your mind about consent. And yeah, just because you're in a relationship with someone, it does not at all mean that you have to have sex with somebody whenever they want. So if consent is not given during a sexual act, is that assault? Yes, it absolutely is. Can assault only occur if it is penetrative? No, penetrative sexual acts, uh, they're only one form of 
sexual assault. Oral assaults um, are also a sexual assault and there's also sexual touching. So so unwanted sexual touching is also something that um, you can be charged with by the police. So if a sexual assault does occur, and it is a prevalent issue because in Australia, as of 2018, almost 2 million Australian adults have experienced at least one sexual assault since the age of 15. In your experience, in your role, um, what are the kind of things that can occur because of this? It's important to remember that sexual assault is a form of trauma and trauma impacts people differently. So... Uh, sometimes we see people who um, are in shock, particularly when it just happens. Usually when we see somebody for a medical forensic appointment after a sexual assault, a recent one, it's not often that they are actually sexually assaulted and think, I should go to the hospital. Usually they don't even realise that they've been sexually assaulted, they might think about it and they might eventually tell somebody that they trust, like a friend. And the friend is often the one that says, hey, I think you might have been assaulted. And the friend helps them to um, seek support services. Some people also experience guilt and self-blame about the incident. They might question themselves and say things like, well, why did I go out with him? Why did I have so many drinks? Why didn't I leave earlier? A lot of people have nightmares and flashbacks. They might be, um, you know, enjoying their day, but then they might walk past somebody that looks a bit like the perpetrator. And that triggers them into having a flashback of the assault, which is actually really um, vivid and it might feel like they're actually experiencing the assault again. So, so that's, um, that's pretty scary. Something I often see in young people is a loss of confidence. So prior to the assault, they might have been, you know, living um, quite a good life, but an assault can really rock them. And it might impact um, their ability to focus at school. They might think that people are looking at them and talking about them. And a person who might have really enjoyed hanging out with their friends or going to parties might actually find that situation really unsafe and overwhelming. Definitely such a hard thing to go through, such an impact for a person that experiences this as a, as a survivor, um, everybody is different as well, as you just said. There are mm. so many different ways that you can um, react to this incident that has happened to you in your life. What is the best thing that you can do as a person that may know someone that has been sexually assaulted or if you yourself have been sexually assaulted? Because I think the belief is that it is an isolating experience. So what is the best way... I guess, to gain support? What are the services that exist? I think um, what's important to people that have experienced sexual assault is the response of those people around them. So it's important to listen to them. Just listen to them 
and don't ask detailed questions. You may be feeling distressed for them or you may be feeling angry and you might want to say something like, why didn't you tell me sooner? But um, it's best not to ask those types of questions because the person will likely feel judged and what's better to say um, is you believe them, that they're not at fault and um, you can ask them, how can I support you? Everybody is different um, and there's nothing wrong with asking. If you are a young person or maybe a survivor yourself or you just might have a lot on your plate and, and, and you may not have the capacity to support someone through this, not that you don't want to, but, but you, you, you may just not have the capacity for some reason, that's fine as well. So don't feel like you need to take that all on if you can't. You could say to your friend, I think we should go tell somebody together so then they could help you. And that person might be um, a parent or a trusted sibling or perhaps even a trusted teacher. Can you identify somebody else that can help? And you could take your friend to that person. It might actually be a service, like a counselling service, like like ours, for example, or it could be a telephone counselling service, um, you know, one of those 24-7 ones. Full Stop Australia is fantastic. They, they also have an online chat. A lot of people prefer to do an online chat rather than a phone call, or it could be going to the police station. That would be totally appropriate as well. Absolutely. There's no one way to do it. I, I think it's very individual to the person and their process and how they want to figure it all out themselves. And is a sexual assault survivor the only person that is impacted by the assault? Well, they're the, they're the primary victim, but no, no, I wouldn't say that, that they are um, the only people impacted. Especially with young people, I think that often families... Um, are very heavily impacted and um, I also want to say um, that perpetrators um, are too so so I think I think it would be um, important to acknowledge at this point that sexual assault is a gendered crime so most of the time perpetrators are male and um, most of the time victims um, a female. So if there were people, um, you know, in a heterosexual uh, relationship, I would, um, I would hate to think that the boy could um, be charged with a crime and has caused this type of um, impact um, on his girlfriend when he may not actually have had that intention. So I think um, education around sexual consent is really important 
for females and males? I only graduated high school a few years ago and um, I never received any formal or any education at all regarding consent and I know that there is a very evident gap. It's the idea that the consent education that has been given is given through media or given by friends and possibly that idea that just because a girl was kissing you at a party means that she probably wants to go a little bit further and there's just such a lack of education that is there for all young people I believe so I guess my question to you Leanne, would be how how can we improve consent education how can we include it in schools how can we make sure that it is taught the correct way I know that in the Sutherland Shire, um, uh, there's the Napcan Love Bites program, um, which is a program that's facilitated in um, quite a few high schools in the Sutherland Shire. Um, it's targeted towards Year Ten kids, and they get, um, you know, a, a one day workshop. Um, half of the workshop is about um, sex and consent and the other half is about um, family violence. Uh, These workshops are are facilitated um, predominantly by volunteers from um, several different organisations, you know, in the Shire, including including ours. I think it's it's a great program but I've heard, you know, anecdotally that, that by the time you talk to year 10 kids about consent, some of those kids have already been having various types of sex um, for years. So my question is, do these conversations, do they need to start earlier? Absolutely. I mean, consent is applicable at any age. Uh, I remember we were taught about menstruation and safe sex practices in school Um, But consent was never a part of that. And when you teach safe sex at school or sex education at all, consent should be mandatory a part of that. They they go hand in hand. And if you introduce it at a young age, even just as identifying personal boundaries, yes, you can do this or no, I don't want you to do that. And just increasing the intensity as a a young person grows older, it, it, it really does stick with that person so that they can understand something that is complex, but at the end of the day, very basic what consent is. So my next question for you, Liani, is how can we discuss consent, um, whether it be in a new relationship or a one-time partnership? What, what is the best way to navigate this space respectfully but also safely? I think the key is um, simply communication. Mm. I think that's, that's really important. Um, it's important that um, both people feel safe and comfortable when it comes to sex, and um, and I also think it's really important to be respectful of your partner's sexual boundaries. They may not be okay with doing something that that you you know really want to do, but you've got to respect that. You you can't pressure them into doing something they don't want to do because if you do, that's not consent, and that's when you you cross that line into sexual assault. It's also important, I think, after you, you know, um, have that initial communication about, about both wanting to engage in those sexual acts, that, that you check in with each other again. And you look out for nonverbal cues as well. So if somebody doesn't appear into it, 
They might have their eyes closed or they might be looking away. They they might not be making any sounds or noises at all. They might be silent or it might be something more obvious. They might be crying. Please, please do not keep going and just um, stop and check in with them. It's always important to ask that question. Um, do you want to continue? Is this okay? It, it's important as well to know that once you start something doesn't mean that you have to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, always making sure that both parties of a sexual act are consenting at all times just by asking the question, checking in for the nonverbal cues and just making sure that it's enjoyable. Liani, so how would you go about setting boundaries in relationships? I think, again, the answer is communication. Mm. So if you're in a a relationship with someone, I would say don't wait, um, you know, till things are hot and heavy to have those conversations. I would hope that there's enough trust and respect in that relationship for you to be able to navigate a conversation around what you're both comfortable with, what you're both definitely not comfortable with and perhaps what you might be willing to try to give to, to give a go mm. and pick the right time to have that conversation you know a private space the time everybody's calm and can give the time that that conversation um, deserves checking in with yourself checking in with your partner making sure that you're always on the same page yeah and um and that's another good point as well checking in with yourself do not feel like you cannot say no or be honest to your partner don't do things because your partner wants you to do them but you really don't want to do them because um when that comes to sexual matters that can result in some pretty heavy impacts afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not something that can be negotiated like what movie you're going to watch that night or what you're going to have for dinner. Sexual acts uh, are something that you both should want to do. Thank you, Leanne, for taking the time to come in and speak with me today about consent. It's such a important topic And it's great to see these laws changing from pressure from victim survivor advocates like Grace Tame, Saxon Mullins and Chanel Contos. This progression is evident. We can see within the New South Wales state, but as well as federal government, that they're definitely making changes towards consent laws, but also consent education in schools. It's always important to advocate for education and awareness around these issues. And of course, the prevention of sexual assault is better than treating the symptoms of trauma. So thank you so much for being here with me today, Liani. Thank you for having me. And um, if you want to learn more about any of the things that we've spoken about, consent specifically, we have linked support services in the description of this episode. Um, if you need support yourself or someone you may know, please don't hesitate to engage with these services.